the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. We've often, I think, on the topic of taxes as Americans, drawn the conclusion that historically it was things like the Boston Tea Party and the sense of taxation without representation that spurred the American Revolution and brought America to where she is today. My next guest, though, will suggest mm, not quite true. Played a role, to be sure. But in fact, instead of the revolution sparking, uh, sparked by high taxes, it would instead be outrage against British attempts to suppress God-given those so-called inalienable rights that we see articulated in the Constitution that we have today. Some insights now as we're joined by the director of the Center for Military and Veteran Studies at Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina. He's also the author of 16 best-selling books. His latest is entitled By the Hand of Providence, How Faith Shaped the American Revolution. And Rod Gregg, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Thank you. Glad to be here. What headed you down this trajectory? I mean, obviously, you've spent a lot of your life in the arena of, of looking at the Battle of Gettysburg in one of your books. You, you've been very much focused on the founding of our nation and, and the roots that we have. And, and I think, to be sure, most of us, certainly people listening to a program like this, see the faith-based roots of our nation. But to take it a step further now and, and suggest that as much as we've typically understood the American Revolution to be sparked by taxation without representation, actually coming down to something a lot more valuable, quite frankly. Uh, this, this, I think, is some new news for folks. Well, I think it's, uh, it's an old story that needs to be re- retold because it's been uh, neglected in our day and has been uh, largely forgotten uh, by, uh, by our nation. But it it's really uh, goes to the heart of who we are and, and what we became as a nation. And the American Revolution was a faith-based revolution because Americans were a faith-based people and that faith was a biblical one. So the things that you mentioned, uh, taxation, uh, lack of representation in Parliament, uh, events that uh, were somewhat of a catalyst like the Boston Tea Party, other protests, all those things were uh, had a role and all of them uh, were kind of a dominoes falling, but uh, they were symptomatic of something deeper and that is that the American people, is, as you put it well, um, American people were, were biblical. Colonial American people and the Americans at the time of the Revolution were uh, biblically literate. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody was devout. You had the, the devout, you had the nominal, you had the uninterested. But the, the American thought at the time was uh, firmly founded on the Judeo-Christian worldview. Uh, the culture was um, predominantly Protestant. It was overwhelmingly Christian, and it was almost universally Judeo-Christian in its approach. 
And that was the foundation of American culture, law, and government. So when these events occurred, these controversial events, over a period of time, increasing numbers of uh, Americans came to, to view King George III and Parliament as attempting to usurp the higher law of God and to uh, force the law of man instead. They saw them as uh, usurping uh, what they called inalienable or God-given rights, rights to life, to liberty, to what they called the, uh, the freedom to pursue happiness. And they came to view, eventually, uh, in great numbers, uh, King George III as a tyrant. That's why uh, American troops marched off to war in the Revolution under battle flags adorned with the, ba- with the slogan that said, resistance to tyrants is obedience to God. You you take the title of your new book, By the Hand of Providence, um, from a quote from George Washington. Um, and I think as we think of him as, uh, you know, one of the key founding fathers, uh, uh, the first president of the United States, although was somebody in there actually for a couple of days or something, I forget all the details on that, but, but, but widely recognized as the first president of the United States, uh, as we see the role that he played, Valley Forge, all the way through the list, give us some insights in terms of this man in particular and the, the role that his faith played in taking the risks that he did in the founding of our nation. Well, and some people have made the, the case, uh, I think, kind of a weak one, the case uh, in recent uh, years that the presidents of the Continental Congress uh, in those days before the Constitution, during the, the time of the Articles of Confederation, were in a sense presidents, but they were not president of the United States. Uh, Washington was the first. It's, it's really, you really cannot overemphasize the influence of George Washington. Now, uh, the American Revolution was really taken forward by the American people. They're often overlooked. And the leaders reflected the worldview, the faith of the American people. So you had the American people, you had their leaders in the Continental Congress, and then you had uh, George Washington, who was really heads above all others. Um, and he was greatly influential in inspiring his officers and troops to stay in this, uh, this movement, to stay in this revolution. And he also inspired the American people. And it wasn't because he was a good general, and he became a good general. He became a great strategist, a good tactician, but he grew into that. What inspired the American people about Washington was his character. And that character was based on his personal faith, and that faith was clearly biblical. And that faith. Talk, talk to me about your research in terms of the influence on that faith, on the decisions and the risks that he took personally um, in the American Revolution. Well, Washington was um, a, a low-church Anglican uh, who was uh, very serious about his faith. He was quiet about his faith. He wasn't the kind of man who would sit around, like Sam Adams, for instance, and, 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 and uh, engage or lead a dinnertime theological discussion. Uh, he was a low church Anglican. He was uh, he didn't speak in uh, the vernacular of a 21st century evangelical. Although his doctrine, uh, personal doctrine that he believed as a as an Anglican was certainly uh, uh, in in that category of being a historic evangelical um, Orthodox Christian doctrine. He was certainly not a deist, as some have claimed. Uh, there were very few deists actually involved among uh, the American people and, and among the founders, their leaders. Uh, the um, the historian, and there was a historian uh, in the 20th century, P. 
Perry Miller, who spent his life studying the colonial era. He really was a great expert on American colonial uh, life in the colonial era. He described it well. He said that deism was what he called an exotic plant that never took root in America because of the overwhelming influence of the biblical worldview, that Judeo-Christian worldview. Uh, so a deist was one who, who believed in an impersonal God, almost like a force, uh, a force-type creator who uh, launched and jump-started his creation and then walked away from it. That's not the God that George Washington believed in. And uh, he was consistent in both his private writings, which were voluminous, and also in his, uh, his public statements, which were many, and consistent in expressing uh, that uh, faith, which was clearly, without question, a biblical faith. And so in, uh, in Washington's uh, decision-making uh, and the things he did, the things he didn't do, really governed by this. You look, for instance, um, he stands in real contrast to some of the leadership demonstrated by British commanders uh, who went into areas sometimes, uh, particularly in the South, where um, uh, they could have probably had to handle the war right, could probably have... Uh, Americans were all reluct generally reluctant revolutionaries, and the British in some areas could have uh, kindled a, a great deal of support, but their behavior, their conduct, uh, really alienated people, and it made uh, Americans in droves go over to the side of the patriot movement. Well, Washington was contrast to that in the way that he treated his enemies, the way he treated loyalist civilians. He made sure that they were not taken advantage of. He made sure that they weren't robbed and plundered like the British did. There was a real discipline there. He also... Uh, 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 routinely observed victories by holding worship services. Uh, he encouraged his troops to observe the national days of prayer that the Continental Congress called, and there were many of them during the Revolution. Uh, he at one time uh, urged his troops to conduct themselves, in his words, uh, a, and with their behavior as becoming a Christian soldier. Uh, he made sure that uh, the army was equipped with chaplains. He took that very seriously and encouraged his men to... Uh, to pick chaplains who were strong in their faith. Uh, so you see consistently through Washington's words and his behavior, this character, and this character was reflection of his personal faith. If you've just joined our conversation tonight, Rod Gregg is with us. He, of course, is the director of the Center for Military and Veteran Studies at Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina. A new book entitled By the Hand of Providence, How Faith Shaped the American Revolution. We'll come back to more of our look at the role of faith in the founding of our nation as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We have been investigating the faith-centered foundation of the American resistance as found inside the pages of this new book, By the Hand of Providence. By the way, for you homeschooling parents out there in particular, I mean, the book is great for anybody, but homeschooling parents... You're looking for a great book that can be a wonderful teaching tool. Uh, you're going to want to go out and pick up a copy of this. Howard is the publisher available to bookstores throughout the Bay Area. Those one or two still exist, am I right? I'm just checking. And, of course, through Amazon.com. Its author is with us tonight, Rod Gregg. Rod is the director of the Center for Military and Veteran Studies at Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina. By the way, a number of phenomenal books that he has penned down through the years, over 16 of them now all told, on topics of the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, Civil War, on and on the list goes. So check out anything uh, written by Rod. Again, G-R-A-G-G, -G, if you're going to Google 
his last name. Rod, it's curious. We talk about the notion oftentimes that, that some will report um, a number of the founding fathers as having been deists. I, and I find it curious because if we look at the actions of these men and the great risk that they took, the personal sacrifice, it, it would seem to me that it would take an individual of greater character um, and, and, and a sense of, of higher calling than just somebody who casually acknowledge the existence of deity out there. It seems to me that most of the actions of these men in the founding days of this nation were people that were willing to sacrifice for a greater good because they knew the God that they served. Well, that's exactly right. You have to remember when we talk about uh, the founding fathers, the leaders of the American people in the colonial era at the time of the American Revolution, that um, they reflected also the worldview of the American people, or they wouldn't have been holding office. And the worldview of the American people, without question at that time, was a faith-based. It was the Judeo-Christian worldview. And it's no accident that the Declaration of Independence uh, begins with what it calls a uh, self-evident truth that all men are created equal and are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, namely life, liberty, and, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, the Declaration of Independence had to be acceptable to the American people who were going to live with it and in many cases going to die for it. And the signers knew that. And they knew they had to have biblical justification for something as big as an independence movement or a revolution. And so that's why the Declaration of Independence is laced with the language of faith. Half of it makes the case against King George III because Americans came to, to view him in great numbers, as did these crafters of the Declaration, as uh, a leader uh, who was unfit to be a ruler of free people because they had come to view him as a tyrant who wanted and intended to usurp the higher law of God and replace it with the law of man. And Americans, uh, being biblically literate, were very conscious of the whole biblical doctrine of submission to authority. And so they were reluctant revolutionaries. And not until uh, until the great numbers of them came to believe that uh, he was attempting to uh, usurp or take uh, authority over the higher law of God did they move into the ranks of uh, revolutionaries. And uh, they then came to view him and Parliament to a lesser degree as tyrants who were, uh, who were seeking to repress these inalienable or God-given rights, and they believed they had a biblical and moral duty to resist that. Now, as far as uh, the leaders and those who are deists, that really is something that has been uh, greatly exaggerated uh, in our day, and it really probably reflects more about... Uh, where American culture is today than it does the historical evidence of that. Time. Well, to be sure, I mean, the attempt, I think, too, to uh, to take God and faith out of the equation, to kind of neutralize America's stand historically on the position of faith uh, and and kind of eradicate our faith-based roots. I mean, let's face it, if, if you can eliminate that at the foundation, it's much easier then to move forward in uh, not only creating a religion-neutral America, but in some corners even a religion religious-hostile America. Well, you know, the great unreported story of our day, uh, of the last uh, 50 years, is the shift in the national consensus or the shift in the worldview of America's leadership from a historic, traditional uh, Judeo-Christian worldview that holds that God is the authority over all things and God should be the central focus of all things, 
to a man-centered, secular, or humanistic worldview that says that man, not God, is the authority over all things, and that man, not God, should be the center of all focus. Now, that's a seismic shift, and, uh, and you know, why it's, uh, it's having a trickle-down effect in the, in the American population. You can see uh, that the leadership in America, in virtually all fields, has really shifted in that direction, in, in the field of... Uh, uh, business, uh, law, government, uh, entertainment, uh, the popular media, the culture, popular culture, the, the media, the news media, uh, movies, television, uh, health care. It's shifted from this God-centered worldview to a man-centered worldview. And then when you have something like that happens, it means that those who are uh, responsible for conveying information have, uh, are uncomfortable with things of faith, particularly of biblical faith, they are. Um, uh, they don't understand it in some cases. Uh, they're uncomfortable with it. Sometimes they really resist it or even hostile to it. And so, for those reasons, I think that the uh, the fundamental foundation of America's origins as a nation, which was faith-based, and that faith was the Judeo-Christian worldview, has um, has really uh, almost been. Uh, it's been neglected. It's, uh, and, and it's to a point that most Americans today, or at least many Americans today, don't know the story. Yeah, and, and sadly enough, and of course the irony is we see the manner in which this is demonstrated, the results of which are demonstrated in society and the world around us every single day. I mean, look at the disintegration of what's going on in our country morally and economically. Uh, there's proof positive, and even more so than what ought to be a firmer drive to return back to the understanding of our faith-based roots, um, the, the, the acceptance of the reality that colonial America was built on a foundation of biblical faith, and that any time you waver from it, you are going to be open for some pretty scary times, which we find ourselves in these days. By the hand of providence, how faith shaped the American Revolution and hopefully will be the guide to the next one. That's my subtitle, my sub-subtitle. Uh, Rod Gregg, its author, our guest on this segment of Lifeline. Again, a number of great resources that Rod has penned down through the years for those interested in uh, a real, legitimate view of the faith influence on the founding of our nation. Then, too, again, for parents out there, the homeschoolers, if you're looking for great teaching uh, content, then, again, Google his name, Rod Gregg. You can find lots of great resources, too, all of which available on the web and through Amazon.com by the hand of Providence. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. As a resident of California, think about what we've experienced over, say, just the last five years earthquakes, protracted drought, followed by torrential flooding, devastating rural and suburban area wildfires, repeated power outages, interruptions to our vital supply chain street protests, and rioting. Wow. Any one of these events are disturbing enough, let alone the impact they have on your family's safety and your ability to meet their basic needs. It's hard to imagine, but it was just less than two years ago when store shelves went bare, food prices suddenly spiked, and all of a sudden mundane things like bottled water and toilet paper were being rationed. And it's all because we were simply asked to stay home for a couple of weeks. Now imagine what it might be like during a real emergency, like a major earthquake, a cyber attack on our power grid. If you watch the news these days, you know that something even worse could happen. The question is, would you be ready? Can you provide for your family's basic survival for a month, a week, 
a day. If the authorities and emergency services are overwhelmed, if power is off and roads are blocked, the only thing your family may be able to count on is self-reliance. Joining me now with some insights is Mark Augustin. He is the president of Augustin Farms. And Mark, boy, this is really a time and a place in recent years where not just the residents of California, but perhaps all over the world have a heightened sense that there's a fragility about life, that if we're not prepared to address the unexpected when it comes, it could have a devastating impact on our families. And sadly enough, trying to rely upon things like government assistance when an emergency arises is probably not all that reliable, won't you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you hit it right there. I think uh, people have been waiting or wondering uh, or thinking they're going to get help from someone else. Self-reliance is really the only thing you can count on. And people rely on the government. They rely on other sources. Then you're vulnerable to those sources. So if you want to take control and take preparedness, take your family, your food, your water, all the things you need to live, breathe, and be healthy, uh, the more you can control yourself versus allowing someone else to bring those services to you, the better and the more peace of mind you'll have and the stronger you'll be uh, as an individual, as a leader, or as an emergency or crisis manager in your own home or in your own neighborhood. We really almost have to think that way, don't we, that we need to set up our internal team within the family and and be prepared. And someone, of course, ideally should take the role of sort of an emergency crisis leader to make sure that all of the necessary preparation has been done, all the steps are in place, all the tools that are necessary to survive an event are at our immediate disposal. And I think some folks falsely, when they when they watch television news and they see an event like a tornado or a hurricane and they see an organization like the Red Cross swoop in and help out. Well, that's fine and good if it's a single neighborhood. But if it's multiple neighborhoods simultaneously, as for example, an earthquake in the San Francisco Bay region may be, and if it shuts down major arteries where they can't get to you, then this matter of self-reliance really becomes penultimate, doesn't it? Yes, it, it really falls back onto the individual it falls back onto us, planning and preparation, as well as practicing that, too. And, uh, you know, the reality is, is we want help. We want people to provide services because we might not have those or we want to help others. But indictively, when we talk about the time of a crisis or an earthquake or a hurricane, when that happens and the time from once that's happened to when someone's get gets there to help you. The world has become more and more complicated. It really stemmed back to, if I want to go back, uh, turn the clock back a little bit, to Hurricane Sandy. Hurricane Sandy uh, hit the East Coast. It froze things. It was in the middle of winter. Uh, That's when uh, the national uh, marketing of 72 hours is what we've always been told as uh, growing up and and my midlife, the 72-hour preparation of 72 hours. The reality is when Hurricane Sandy hit, People didn't get help or didn't even see someone pass their house or go by their area for seven to ten days. And so from that point on, they've really escalated that 72 hours to a 10 to 12 day period. Uh, So even if we have prepped or we prepared ourselves for 72 hours, we're still not all the way there, which gives us a shortfall. It it creates a weakness for us. And if we're going to be self-reliant and prepare ourselves to be strong and to react in an emergency situation, 
we need to have the tools to do so. Well, that's it's certainly very, very important. And that, that certainly changes the entire uh, dialogue when you begin to realize that heretofore, if you thought, well, I've got a pantry in the garage, we've got some sundries set aside, but we can last two, three days. Suddenly, two, three days has become two or three weeks. It's a whole different set of terms of engagement when it comes to being able to meet your family's needs in a crisis of that sort. Now, I understand that Augustin Farms, in addition to celebrating 50 years now, has been known as the first company in the nation to supply families with emergency foods. Give us a bit of the background. How did all this come to be? You know, fantastic question, and thank you so much. We are celebrating a 50-year anniversary for Augustin Farms, and uh, especially one of our number one products uh, called Morning Moose Milk. Uh, it's really what started the company, a shelf-stable uh, milk product that was available uh, on call, uh, didn't need a refrigerator. Uh, large families uh, in the early 80s uh, in Utah were, is where actually Augustine Farms is headquarters. But back then we had very large families and we were drinking a lot of milk, 12 to 14 kids in some families, believe it or not. One of my friends uh, was number 14. Uh, so we, we learned how to live off less and how to make more out of less. So really, uh, you know, adding milk products, adding something that stabilizes the grocery bill, uh, adds comfort, convenience, use, and parallel of saving money. That was really our flagship item that springboarded us into a segment of preparation. So when we thought back about not having milk or having milk, and I can make milk for my family, my kids, my baby's crying, I need milk, having that functionality be available on the shelf in a dry format that is shelf-stable is really where we built our, started our, our, our food profile. We went from there on adding soups, sauces, gravies, fruits, vegetables, August and Farms is solid need and concern and ability to be self-reliant. And so we wanted to provide those solutions to people. We've grown and worked on our, our variety and our assortments. One of our rules of thumbs have always been store what you eat and eat what you store. So what I did is spent uh, probably the last 30 years of that 50 years uh, developing foods, recipes, and making sure people, when it, the food that we were able to provide them, didn't throw them off. It didn't scare them. It wasn't gross. It didn't taste bad. It was, wasn't complicated when making it. Uh, so utilizing these resources, utilizing how can I convince people to be self-reliant? How do I educate people in the great benefits of being self-reliant? And I did that through food. And I continue to do that through food. And for many, many years, we've done it and done it and done it. We've told people. We've been laughed at. We've been joked at. We've been uh, called all kinds of different things because we're self-reliant. We prep, we store food and water. We're ready for the worst-case scenario, um, which is a strength in many, and some it hasn't been. But I'm telling you, as you mentioned before, in my whole life, I know if you're on a West Coast, East Coast, and you're in a hurricane path or a disaster-prone area, you're used to preparing, you're used to panic buying, and you've seen short shelves emptied. But never in my whole life that I've been involved in rural America or a small town in the middle of Northern California, away from the coast, has it never really seen grocery stores be emptied. We saw that across the country. We saw what happens with the supply chain. We've seen and watched the disasters before the pandemic that took place that shorted people from food and, and these essential needs that they to survive and thrive or to survive and help others. 
Uh, we've seen all these things take place, and the messages are clearer and clearer and clearer. The world is not getting safer. It's getting more complicated, and it's getting more unstable. So what does that mean? That means we need to focus on really what is our, what is our, what is our emergency points of who we are, what we do, and our families, and where is our foundation, and where do we start? One thing you mentioned as well, I might have some things on the shelf. I might have a gross, uh, refrigerator full of products that uh, I know I can use those products probably up to two or three days or until I lose the, the cooling in that. I know I have foods uh, on my shelf. Uh, I can eat my canned stuff. But what's the duration? How long is that going to get me? And then the other thing is, too, California is pretty prone to wildfires. We've seen a lot of fires devastate. So what happens now when I have to leave my house? Augustin Farms has built a platform through these 40 years, two different ways to uh, go about it. One's shelter in place, and one's grab and go. First thing I want to do is shelter in place with my food, my supplies, my safe place, my home, where I feel comfortable. That's my first pick. But by gosh, if I'm told evacuate, get out of there, what do I grab? I grab my personals, my, my, my expenses, my jewelry, my kids, my, my animals. I run out the door, and then I get down the road, and I have nowhere else to go to, no, one, no source of water, no source of food, then what do I do? So the preparation, there's multiple steps to preparation. Uh, we, we, we get very excited when people engage in one or the other or even both, but our continual process as we learn, and we have personal testimonies of people that have been through disaster, used our food in disasters, used our food to help others, these testimonies are very, very prevalent and very strong and resonate to the truth of what self-reliance is. We're visiting today with Mark Augustin, president of Augustin Farms. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Our visit today is with Mark Augustin, president of Augustin Farms. Mark, I want to pick up the conversation where we left off just prior to the break. One of the issues that I think, and you kind of alluded to this, Mark, as we saw the outbreak of the pandemic, lots of this panic buying going on, folks were not fully aware they might drive down through their neighborhood and see one of these huge warehouses or a distribution point and think, oh my goodness, they've got food stockpiled for maybe years. We should be just fine, not recognizing that there's been a major shift in retailing over probably the last uh, 15 or so years in implementing something called time to market, which essentially means products are not really produced until they're right at the cusp of being delivered and and consumed. And so as a result, a minor interruption in just one aspect of the supply chain could shut all of that off. So if we think, for example, our favorite cereal company has a warehouse somewhere and they have managed to store, you know, 50,000 boxes of our favorite cereal. No, that's probably not the case at all. They probably get made today, shipped tomorrow, arrive at your store by Saturday, and they're on your breakfast table by Monday morning. And so time to market has changed the way many of these fundamental food supplies are made available to us, which has really complicated all of this. One of the points that you make, and I think I really want to underscore this for listeners, maybe you can kind of um, elaborate on this point as well. When we think about 
emergency food once we've gone through the you know eight-year-old can of beans <laughs> that was on the back of a shelf somewhere uh, people are certainly familiar with uh, preparation food but i think there's typically been a notion that they kind of equated with mres meals ready to eat and that means that there's been a lot of thought given to things like shelf life very little thought given to things like texture taste preparation. And one of the things that I think makes Augustin Farms so different, and that is that in addition to the basic of prolonged shelf life, you guys have really taken the time and, and put the care in to make sure that the quality of the food from a nutritious standpoint, from a preparation standpoint, from a taste standpoint is, is really there. And when you're in the middle of a crisis, there's probably nothing more important than at least to be able to enjoy a comforting, wholesome, nutritious meal. Yes, and you're absolutely right. So just going to follow back just a little bit on supply chain, warehousing. These companies are in the business to make money. They're not in the business to store food for worst-case scenarios. They want to get their unit turns in. So just like you said, I would say any if I had 50,000 boxes of cereal, then they've, they've planned that business for 50,000 boxes of cereal to last 7 to 10 days in that warehouse, and that's about it. So once that's gone, it's gone. It has to be replenished. So they're constantly working on that. And an MRE, if I want to resort back to MREs, which is probably most known by anybody who thinks of emergency food, or is that that military mills, or is that the, well, isn't that those those you know things they eat in the army? Those are mills that are ready to eat right out of the package, hot or cold. But there's a point where. That runs flat, too, because most MREs, or almost all MREs, the shelf life's only three to five years. So if I'm going to score MREs, why would I score MREs, and why would I not score regular food? Because most of my canned food is going to last that long anyways. So there's a little bit of a debate there on how to do it and why to do it. Um, but the thing is, with Augustin Farms, we have up to 30-year shelf life on a lot of our products. What we do is we take high-quality foods, just like you're buying at the grocery store, and all we're doing is stabilizing the environment that the food is stored in. So I'm taking just as quality or equal to what you find out there in a pancake section, what you're to find out there in a soup section, what you're to find out there in a protein section, any of your, your food groups. What we do is we take that item, we make sure it's low in fats and oils, and uh, because that's a rancidity issue, and oxygen. But oxygen is our first deteriorator of shelf life and nutritional value. So what Augustine Farms does is we develop formulas and recipes that are low in fats and oils, but we like calories. We like the caloric intake because that's what we need for energy and to survive on. So what we do is we take these recipes. We make sure they're low in fats and oils. We make sure we have a package that we can put them in that's safe from oxygen, whether uh, we don't want light in there, and certain things that we try to avoid to enhance what we do. But what we do is once we've controlled that environment inside the package, we remove the oxygen levels to 0.02%, so, which is pretty amazing. So once we've controlled that environment, now we've controlled the product we're storing. And based upon our 50 years of history, we've got the data and the, the testing to show that we know how great these things are. We did a test uh, a few years back uh, on a 30-year product. It was a freeze-dried strawberry that we produce here and sell. And what we did after 30 years, we wanted to say, okay, our shelf life's 30 years. What happens after that? Does it go bad? Does it make people sick? Should they throw it away? Well, our studies have proven that even after 30 years, 80% of that nutritional value is still there. 
It's just not meeting exactly what the label had said. So what that does, it continues to tell you it goes, it can fill you up, but your nutrition is, is a little bit less. That's the study and that's the work we've done in this. Another cool, great thing I've done too is we've talked about trying to relate with people so they don't think this is something weird. This is food you can use once a week, uh, every day, once a year, once every 10 years. That's up to you. If you want to practice what you uh, eat or store, that, that's a question. Uh, but these products will be stable. They will be uh, nutritional, and the values will be there based upon uh, what we put on the label. And it will give people that peace of mind that that food is there and available for them. We've worked very, very hard at this. I've even taken the scope of inventing shelf-stable pizza. We can do pizzas, calzones, breadsticks. It comes in a pizza kit. I went to the point of saying, hey, what do people look for when they want to go out to eat? I invented Italian recipes. I invented uh, Mexican food recipes. We invented a turkey feast. You can have a turkey dinner. I wanted to do everything I could to convince people to help them and their families and their neighbors or whoever's around them to make this as easy as possible. All of our, all of our foods are just out of water. And the most convenient, most closest to what you're used to eating, so I can say, I'd buy that, but my kids wouldn't eat it. I guarantee 99% of all of our foods your kids will eat because I've tried and tested them as a kid, grew up developing these formulas, and I test them on my children as well. These are great foods for a great purpose and a great cause. And I think, Mark, the, the care and attention that you and your family have put into all of this um, should give people a tremendous sense of comfort. I mean, when we think of emergency food the operative word there is not food it's emergency and so that means that there's already stresses put on the family you might be working in a situation where you're cut off from friends and family you can't get out of your neighborhood maybe the power is out who knows what the circumstances might look like but you know to survive you have to eat and if you're trying to convince your kids to eat emergency food, uh, that's not going to give them much comfort. It, it really is a sense here where you've put comfort back into food and give people a feeling as if, you know what, your diet doesn't have to change radically. You're not going to be eating a starvation diet. And in fact, not only is the food healthy, nutritious, have a long shelf life, but it's the kind of flavors that, that are used to you know it 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 feels a bit like home and i and i think that's in in a crisis situation nothing is more important than that and so toward that end i'm sure folks are now wondering oh my goodness i I, you know you've really caught my attention i didn't realize that a product um array like this was even available how can we order this what things do we need to keep in mind when ordering food how do we gauge how much food we need for our family and how long yeah, great, great, great questions. And let me just give you an example with August and Farms Foods and uh, the kits and combinations we have. So for breakfast tomorrow, if I was to say, hey, I need to live off my food storage, these are the type of things I would have in the morning. Hash browns, scrambled eggs, pancakes, bowl of strawberries, and a bowl of creamy wheat cereal. Now, if that's emergency and survival food and that's not giving you an opportunity to have a variety there, I don't know what is. Yeah, you've just These described the bre- you've solutions just de- that are available. You've just described then, breakfast yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I could go into lunch and then I could go into dinner and then I could start telling you about the desserts and stuff and my snacks. There's snack options too, ready to eat freeze-dried fruits, vegetables, uh, all, all the above. So then I go into 
number one question you just hit on that most people ask. How do I know how much to store and how do I know how long to store for? Well, it boils down to your own work there. As I take a step back and if I'm an individual looking or asking that question, these are the things I observe. Okay, where would I live? What are the situations? What can the crisis be? What can I afford and how long do I feel like is my worst case scenario? We have worked on trying to share and explain and educate people that we feel the greatest value is having years worth of food for each individual in your home stored. Is that logical that people have enough space to do that? You know, not everyone's going to do that. So we've shrunk it down to different versions. We have one-year kits. We have kits that are six months. We broke it down to doing entrees, combined assortments of foods that are in a 30-day duration by caloric intake by day. Our focus is to be 1,800 calories or greater on a daily basis. And if needed, we want to plan that we add some incidentals in there. So August from Farms really gives you the steps to start your kit, but each preparation is unique to each individual. You guys might want to just check the box and say, hey, I bought this and walk away from it and say it's done like a fire extinguisher. I know it's there in case I have a fire. I don't want to understand what's inside of it. I don't understand how it works. I just want to know that I have it. We've done that for you. But we've also done many more steps through the work and the process to understand, hey, if I got kids, what can I feed them? How much calories do they need in a day? We want to survive and thrive. We don't want to just survive and barely live so that we're weak and we can't fight for what we know we need to fight for. And sometimes that's your life and others. So we've done that work. You can go to augustandfarms.com. You can call our, our phone number. You can ask us about that. We can walk you through it. But you can also find simple solutions that you don't even have to call or talk to us. You can actually go to Amazon or Walmart.com and find the products there. You'll see a range of assortments, over 100-plus items. Uh, and I'm telling you, when Augustin Farms gets involved in food, and as for many years as we have, we've covered the gauntlet on food and food storage. If there's something you need, it's unbelievable the forms that it can come in, but even sauces and even if, if, there's a, if there's a liquid, there's a powder to it. So even say a soy sauce, uh, a ketchup, we got tomato powder. There's amazing things we've done and done the work to get it to where people feel good about what they're buying. They feel safe about it. They feel like secure and they feel good about eating it too. Our pancake mix, uh, just, just kind of hit on that. We have a recipe book that creates 50 different items out of one pancake mix. So it's pretty amazing, the abilities. Uh, I can do churros. I can do all kinds of different things. That's how fun and creative we made it. But through that process, we made it simple as well. So and I could go on and on. I, 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 love the st- I love the story. I love telling people. I love educating people. But I'm telling you, it's not as hard as it, you think it is. It's not as weird as it is. And I'm telling you, it's the new normal to have some preparation, just like you know as well as I do. If I only have a quarter of gas in my car, I'm only going to get a quarter way there. And as you hear from Mark, clearly there's a passion for the product. But all of that is born out of a passion for people to make sure that in the event the inevitable emergency arises, and when it does, that you can make sure you're capable of taking care of your family, meeting their basic needs, not only 
from a food safety standpoint, but from a nutrition standpoint, and even from a taste standpoint. Convenience, good taste, nutrition, all a part of Augustin Farms. Now, you want to get more information, get some guidance. One way to start is grab your usual shopping list. You can certainly use that as a tool or go online to AugustinFarms.com. That's A-U-G-A-S-O-N, AugustinFarms.com. And there you'll find all kinds of online tools to help guide you through placing your order. If you'd like to get a little counsel over the phone, you can easily do that too. Call Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Mountain Time, p.m. Mountain Time at 800-878-0099. That's 800 800- Eight seven eight zero zero nine nine or online at augustinfarms.com. As we learn from our conversation today with Mark Augustin, president of Augustin Farms, it isn't a question of if the next event happens, but when. And the question you need to answer for yourself is, is your family ready? Online at augustinfarms.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 